Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And you use the area code 225. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. Sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing folks all around the town, all around the world, all around wherever you might be. <laughs> That's it. All you need is the code and mm-hmm. you can reach us from anywhere in the world. There you go. Got a nice email from a gentleman in Italy the other day. Okay. Yes, as it listens fairly regularly and had some comments about different things. Yeah. But yeah, just lots and lots of folks in Europe we hear from. Quite a few in Asia. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a local, little local site mm-hmm. is all around the world. That's right. Get some from Africa and just all the different continents around the world. I hadn't got anything from Antarctica yet. <laughs> <laughs> not really sure other than research stations. There's a whole, whole lot down there. Of course, well, I, I mean, there's not a whole lot to do, so yeah, you would think maybe. Ice fishing. Yeah. I don't know. You might, of course, somebody may call them and chew me out and say, hey. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot to do there's here. Lot huh? to do there. That's right. You just never know. <laughs> I'm sure there are some mechanical devices down there, and they, they break every once in a while. Right, that's so. it. That's just the nature of a mechanical device. <laughs> that's it. Give us calls, 291-6901. And last week, we were talking, of course, about lug nuts and lugs and all that uh-huh. over the last two weeks. And I did have one gentleman who called and said that one thing he did not realize, and he was glad we had done the show. He says he always rotated his own tires, always considered himself very adept at that. but. Uh-huh. He always put never sees on his lug studs because he lives in one of the northern states, one of the Rust Belt states, where there's a lot of road salts on. So he thought he was doing a really good thing. But like I told him, clean and dry is all you need because most, well, virtually all lug studs are anodized. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to rust or corrode unless something really no, out, I mean, outlandish I, happens. So I guess anything can happen. Right. Yeah, you don't need that never sees or anything on them. And if you did, if you just were hell bent i guess to put it on there you would have to recalculate somehow the the amount of torque, torque that it you takes to get the tightness you need and that falls into the realm of a engineer more so exactly. than an auto mechanic believe <laughs> me but it's going to be somewhat reduced amount because you are putting a lot more turn on that bolt with the same amount of force correct which is stretching the stud more which is increasing the clamping force considerably more so just a little bit of feedback there I always like hearing that sure and I see you've got a big list of stuff there that we hadn't talked about <laughs> yeah, in a while. There's, there's a few things we I thought we might cover today if mm-hmm. uh, between phone calls. There you go. We were talking before the show, and we, we hadn't talked about uh, coolant leaks lately. Right. And the thing about a coolant leak, a coolant system is a sealed system. Right. So what you put in, it stays in. Mm-hmm. And if it's leaking out somewhere, you're introducing another component into the coolant system, which is more air. Right. And, of course, air having oxygen and oxygen being a corrosive. Corrosion is based on oxygen in one form or another because what corrosion is, I guess, on a scientific level, not that I'm that technical about it, but corrosion is is oxygen combining with the metal. Mm -hmm. And because iron becomes iron oxide. The red rust is iron oxide. The yes. metal is, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's kind of like it's burning. The materials are starting to burn, just like a piece of paper. If you lit it, it would right. burn because oxygen's combining with the paper. It's sort of a slow burning process. Same thing with aluminum. You have aluminum oxide because the aluminum is oxidizing. Mm-hmm. So when you introduce oxygen into a cooling system, then you are greatly accelerating all the combustion or the corrosion, corrosion that may have taken place and that's why cooling systems today are basically almost like a hydraulic system where they're bled out all the air is taken out of it and there's nothing in there but water which does the cooling and coolant which does, does the protecting correct and there's coolant protects from freezing 
we used to call it antifreeze back right. in the day. But more importantly, it protects from corrosion. corrosion and it also raises the ball point on the on the water on the mixture of the water yeah, the water is doing the cooling sure that's what's cooling it off if you just dump pure coolant into your car with no water it would probably overheat mm-hmm. because the coolant while it does a number of things doesn't protect doesn't cool from, right ironically it needs to be mixed with water and not just any water no distilled water because right. city water depending on the location right. you're in could have all kinds of minerals and may have fluorides in it it may have chlorine in it it may have all sorts of other chemicals in there that could be detrimental to the cooling system sure that will react with it that's why we always use distilled water and another thing is it needs to be pre-mixed before you dump it into the engine you don't just dump in the water and dump in the coolant or dump in the coolant and dump in the water and thinking it's going to mix in the engine and, and not only that but you don't get the correct mixture if you don't mix it outside the vehicle, if you don't measure it, you well, very any, likely are not going to get the any any coolant that you've you know you've drained the system, but you didn't get a hundred percent of the coolant out. Mm-hmm. So whatever you're mixing has to be the correct mix before you put it back in, because you don't know what you're adding to. You could be adding to a completely uh, what's the word yeah, I'm looking well, for depleted system. What happens is, let's say the system is eighty percent depleted. You drain the cooling system. We are getting, at best, probably 60 or 70% of that out. Correct. Which is leaving 30% depleted materials in there. Now, if they're not too far depleted, that's not a big, big problem because the new coolant is going to take over and it's going to add the stuff that you need and all that. Ideally, if you could drain the entire system by taking the block plugs and all that out, it would be better. However, that's rarely practical. Some vehicles you can get almost 90% out. Mm-hmm. Like you, some of your V6 Toyotas have a drain on each side of the block and the radiator. That allows you to drain so it allows the engine you block. to get the engine block, but most vehicles don't. And see, another thing is if you don't know how much is in there, it's really not a bad idea to measure what, what comes, comes out. out. Look in the chart so you know if you how much you got how, out. Yeah, if it's a 12-quart system and you got 8 quarts out, well, then you know how much, what percentage you mm-hmm. got out of there. And that would help in adding the stuff back to it and all. But let's take a few of these phone calls. Got our lines lit up. We've got Percy online. Good morning, Percy. Hey, good morning, guys, from Reedney, California. Well, thanks, sir. That's about uh, 30 miles west of Fresno, California. Okay, great. I got a service engine light on my wife's 2006 Nissan Murano, Mm -hmm. uh, 3.6. And I had a buddy with a recode reader, and it spit out a P001. Wait, P001. 11 and 2-1. Okay. So it says cam, shaft, sensor, over-advancing. Right. So how would, uh, what would be the proper way to diagnose Boy, that? there's a number of things that yeah. can cause that, Percy. One being, and I don't know how often or what frequency you change your oil or what kind of oil you put in it, but something as simple as the wrong oil viscosity or going too long between oil changes is one of the leading causes of that because what it does okay. is all operated off fall pressure. And okay. it's a precise amount of oil pressure based on what it thinks is supposed to be in there. I know we had a guy who kept getting that code, and he was putting 5W30 in the engine, and I think it calls for like 0W20 or something to that effect, or at least his did. That, and so okay. those are, are one of the things. But, again, a bad sensor can cause it. A sticking solenoid that actuates it can cause it. Even a wiring problem. A wiring problem can cause it. Even an internal engine problem could cause it. Okay. So it's, it's just kind of a very, very basic way to start. I mean, I guess if you want to try to diagnose it yourself, you could go in with an ohmmeter and see if there's a published specification for the sensor, read the ohms across the sensor. Because, see, the problem with all that stuff, Percy, is that it's not really an AC 
signal coming out. It's a square wave signal. So unless you've got like a digital lab scope where you can or, read it, I don't. Or a professional scan tool where you can read the sensor, command the actuator, and see if it moves, and those sorts of things, it's just very, very, very difficult other than just guessing. Yeah, because my, my engine oil was low. Uh huh. So I ended up doing all change because it was time. Okay. And so. Well, now that uh, could very, just, very well has, has it occurred since then. I just changed all this morning. The light came on like on Tuesday, Wednesday. My wife told me I changed all this morning. Well, what and I think so, I would try yeah. is try drive it for a while and see if the light doesn't come back on. Kind of keep a real close eye on that oil and make sure it stays mm -hmm. full. And also be sure you're putting the right oil in it. And I would maybe even look at going to a little bit more frequent oil changes because one of the things, if just a tiny bit of buildup gets in those mechanisms that turn all that stuff, it can cause okay. to bind slightly. If it binds slightly, it's I mean, no it's going to throw a code. code real fast. And very often, it just is something as, as simple as more frequent oil changes can cure that. Okay, yeah, I'm going up. I'm running Mobile One, mm -hmm. and it costs 5 w I change it about every 3,000 miles. Oh, well, good. So. You ought to be fine, yeah. man, yeah. And okay. uh, one other thing you might just want to consider, if you're not already, Percy, is uh -huh. get a oil filter made by Nissan, the regular Nissan yes, oil sir. filter. Yeah, yes, that sir. that can cause some problems too. Particularly on Nissan products, seem more sensitive yeah. to that than some. Okay. But yeah, I'd, I'd watch that all level, and if it does not occur again, I think I would not be concerned. If it does occur again, you can have to get to someone who's got either a Nissan scan tool or a digital lab scope and have them read the different parts of the system and see which one's malfunctioning. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you guys. You guys keep doing the good fight. Oh, great. Well, thank you. Percy, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number, and we've got Herb online. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. i got two questions. Okay. One of the quickie, aluminum wheels versus steel wheels on the torque. Aluminum wheels don't tighten as much, so how does that work? Well, the torque is strictly going to be clamping force, so all virtually all original equipment aluminum wheels are going to have a steel insert or at least a hardened seat in them, so it's going to be virtually the same. You know, They don't okay. give a different torque for aluminum wheels or steel wheels. Because it's it's more of a clamping force thing than it is the material that is clamping down, and all the original equipment stuff is going to be designed to work with. Now, if you put an aftermarket wheel, that could change slightly. You just have to go with what the wheel manufacturer recommends, or start out with what the vehicle manufacturer recommends, and and go from there. But really, the damage that's going to occur for the most part is going to be more to the hub and all that by over torquing or unevenly torquing than it is to the wheel. Okay. One other question, if you have time for the break. My son is looking at an 08 Toyota Tundra, mm -hmm. and it's got a little vibration, 35 to 45. Okay. Four places that got it, and they took it to the Atlanta drive shaft, something other over there in Georgia, and they said it has a slight movement in the drive shaft mm -hmm. with a dial indicator. Right. And it's got a little bit of a moisture coming around the rear transmission seal, mm -hmm. but it don't look like it's been leaking long. and. Just wondering what your thoughts are. He's looking. Herb, I believe there. I believe there may have been a recall on that from Toyota. You might just check if you can get the VIN number, call Toyota, and ask them. I think there might have been a recall on those drive shafts on, on a lot of the tons. I don't know if that particular model is covered, but they were recalling several of those for drive shaft vibration and leakage problems, and they would put a new drive shaft in it for you. Okay. Now, if it's not under recall any longer, then I would call, get a price on a new drive shaft, if you're pretty sure that's what it is, subtract that off my offer price, and just tell the deal exactly why you do it, and say, look, it's a pretty, pretty good-looking truck, I'm really interested in it, however, I think it's going to cost yeah. me this much to get it going, or if you want to go get a drive shaft and put in it, that's fine, and sell it to me for the same price, but you know, I'm not going to buy yeah. a drive shaft and buy the truck. Okay, they dropped it $900, because he kept 
griping about it. And yeah. So, uh, but they said that they could rebuild that. The driveline company said they could rebuild that mm-hmm. shell for mm-hmm. around four hundred dollars, and if they had to replace a tube, they could do that with the cost extra. Yeah, if they've got a good drive shaft shop there, that can be done. There are certainly people around the country. Locally, we had one pretty good drive shaft shop here, but he closed down a few years ago, so there's nobody locally that I know of that does it. But, yeah, they may very well be in Atlanta, uh, someone who could do it. Or you might just price the Toyota product and see how expensive it is because you know it's going to be done right. When you're dealing with a guy in a shop, it just depends totally on his philosophy of quality, you know, so a little more unknown. He got nervous about it because he had a Mustang one time, and they put dual exhaust on it, and they waved that cutting that torch they would weld, and we were close to the drive shaft mm-hmm. too many times. And it tore the bushing out of the rear of the transmission. Yeah, yeah, out the, yeah. Out of balance drive shaft can do a lot of damage. Okay. Well, I thank you for your trouble there. All right, sir. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take our first quick little break, and we will be right back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. Plan to motor west. Hey, Mike, heading out for your run? (laughs) I just knocked out three miles myself. Yep, did my meditation this morning to de-stress, and now I'm going to get a little exercise. Tomorrow I need to take the car into the shop, though. That shaking problem's getting worse. Uh, You know, you should take care of your car like you take care of your body, and it would save you some money. What do you mean? Preventative maintenance is key. Me and Kathy bring our cars in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They give them the once-over and perform the maintenance needed to keep us on the road. I haven't had any kind of major problem with my cars in forever. I guarantee they would have caught the cause of your shaking issue and fixed it before it became a problem. And probably saved me money, too. Yep. All right, I'm heading home this evening for steak and lobster. Then Kathy and I are going to test run our new hot tub. Surf and turf and a new hot tub? Yeah, and champagne. Saving money on your car allows you to enjoy the finer things in life, Mike, my boy. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. And if you have a question or comment, you just give us a call. It's 291-6901. And should you happen to think of something after we go off the air today and miss your live opportunity mm-hmm. or maybe think of something next week, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button and it'll bring you up to a little form with the make, model, and That's right. of your vehicle and the complaint you're having and just send it on in. There you go. Appreciate it. And we'll get the answer right on back to you. And that is not only the best way, but that the is the only way to catch us during the week. That's it. If you call the shop, they're not going to be able to put me online because when I'm there, I am doing a job for the paying customers out of there. I can't just come to the, to the phone and it's not and that I'm being right. rude or that I'm trying to avoid you. It's just I cannot do that. That's why we do the radio show. And that's why we have a website to exactly. answer, get your questions answered that way. But you do have to uh, observe the proprieties <laughs> there. I just can't come to the phone and answer right. your calls during the week. So that's the way to do it. Give us a call right now. We'll get you an answer right straight personally to you. And we got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, sir. Morning. Yes, sir. I'm just following up on a recent visit over there. I got a 12 charger, the silver one, mm-hmm. the air conditioner, uh, losing coolant, uh, freon, I mean. And so we left with the uh, compressors weak and leaking at evaporator core. It says uh, now cools at 60 at idle, 55 at 1,500 RPM. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll need compressor evaporator core to cool better. Right. 
Well, what I'm finding is actually the opposite. It cools better at idle, but when it gets going, it just gets stale and warm. Yeah, maybe freezing up. You think? Could mm-hmm. be, yeah. Yeah, when they get low on refrigerant, they'll start to freeze because the evaporator pressure is lower. And as it gets lower, the temperature gets colder. And if it freezes the core, it's going to quit cooling completely. Wow. Okay, because, yeah, that was just uh, February 15th. I didn't even think it would be already low again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's leaking 24-7. It don't take long. In fact, it leaks worse when it's not running than when it is running because your low side pressure goes up. When the system is running in the evaporator core, you probably only got somewhere around 30 PSI of pressure. When you turn it off and the system equalizes, you can have around 80 to 90 PSI. So you have almost three times as much pressure when it's not running. So it's going to leak worse at night, and it's sitting there re- leaking all night long. I've seen them leak out in just a couple of days. Yeah. Oh, man. So that makes sense to you then, kind of getting warm Could when be. it's driving. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, high RPMs, it just doesn't have it anymore. Right. Okay. All right. Okay, I got you very much. Thank you all, gentlemen, for everything you do and love the show. Thanks, Thank man. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And that's what Jared did. Good morning, Jared. Good morning. Good morning. Got a question which you've probably heard before. I've got a 2000 Jeep Grand Cherokee Laredo 4.0 and had it test run on it said the computer had an internal glitch. Yeah, pretty and common on that. YouTube, they said that you could flash it by uh, grounding the negative cable out or the positive cable out on the frame and then turn the ignition on, turn the lights on, turn the lights off, turn the ignition off, hook it back up, and does that. It runs great for... Yeah, all you do is... Yeah, that's not a program. No, that's not. You just brain dead, and it. all right. you're doing is completely wiping out all the memory, and, and it has to regenerate, and it just... It's going to do okay until it, until a glitch occurs again. Okay, my, my question is this. Mm-hmm. Is it the computer or is it possibly a sensor or something that's causing it to do that? Well, it depends on what code was in there. If the code is internal PCM failure, which there is a code for that. Right. Christ is the only one I know that has that code. If that's the code, it's computer. Once it sets that one, it, it's gone. It's, it's something inside. Now, there are a number of outside sensors that can cause the computer to wipe out like that. Any of the ones that are controlled through the ground side of the circuit, if they short circuit, they can cause that. But I know the Jeep in those year ranges had a tremendous amount of problems with those computers. We've changed them quite a bit. And the absolute only one I've ever seen that'll fix that problem is to get one from Jeep. All the aftermarket rebuild stuff, it just runs about a week or yeah. two, maybe a month, and it starts doing the same thing again. That's just been my experience. Okay. My other question is this. If there's an, an external sensor problem that's causing that, if I get a new computer, it will recur. It's going to recur. Yes. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, will I know a lot of like O'Reilly's? Their things are not, you know, supercomputer. Do I need to put it on a supercomputer to find out? No, there's no computer going to find that. You no. bring out somebody knows what to do and let them check it for you. Okay. That's what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. All right. Have a great one. Thank, Thank you. Bye bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we've got Billy online. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Doing great, Good morning. That's good. I have a 2007 LTZ Z71 Silverado 1500. I have a 5.3-liter motor in it. What's the horsepower on that? Do you have any idea? Man, I really don't know. I'd have have to look it up. Yeah, you'd have to check in either the owner's manual or Chevrolet's data. That changes from year to year to year. Even from model to model. Even a model to model, how they built that exactly one. Even can depend on what state it was delivered to you know a california vehicle may be different from another but that's all pretty much published data and 
I would think if you could should be listed in the owner's manual. Maybe an owner's manual, yeah. In the back under specifications. Well, the reason I don't, I have when I bought the truck, I just bought it. it's a ten year old truck. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, it's a one owner truck. The owner died. I had fifty four thousand actual miles on a ten year old truck. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's brand new. You open up the engine, you can eat off of it. Yeah. You know, so I don't have a manual. They lost it. But what I'm saying also is. What kind of oil? It's got five W thirty on the cap. Correct. I put I put ten W forty high mileage. Well, don't do no, that. No, nope. absolutely do not do that. Don't do that. No, nope, absolutely do not do that. They put five thirty on it because they want five thirty in it. Okay, because I looked changed. on the back. I looked on the back of the of the oil bottle, and all the tests were run on the five W thirty on the ten W forty oil. Absolutely not. Okay. No, you. Brake you, fluid. You, I use a DOT three brake fluid synthetic. Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, any kind of brake fluid, as long as it meets DOT3, is going to be okay. Yeah. But on the oil, what happens when you go to the thicker oil like that, all you're doing is increasing what they call windage. In other words, as a crankshaft beats through the oil, it picks up a certain amount of fumes and stuff. Yes, sir. Thicker oil does more of that. It throws more of it on the cylinder wall. It runs off slower, so you can increase oil consumption. And what that can do is knock out the catalytic converter. It also changes all your displacement on demand and all the other stuff because all that's wrong hydraulic pressure presupposing you got the right oil in it so the 5w30 stick with that and then mobile one does make a 5w30 oh absolutely yes mm-hmm. probably the most common oil they make so the and i got an air filter k&n filter coming off of it take it off put the right air filter on it those oil type air filters number one it's a big pain in the behind because you got to constantly clean it and people don't do it so they get extra dirty if you put too much oil when you service it, it gets on the mass airflow sensor and knocks it out and it does not increase anything at all it doesn't because it comes off the motor it's got a big silver thing coming off the motor with a cone, yeah. cone-looking filter. Well, the, yeah, if you, if you don't have all the original stuff, right. you're going to blow it up now because that stuff is so expensive to buy unless you can go to a junkyard yeah, and find say, it. Yeah, find it used, but yeah, maybe. An air filter cannot increase fuel mileage. No possible way. I don't care if it's completely 100% stopped up or if it's a brand new and it's not going to change the fuel mileage one bit because when the air filter sensor sees how much air is coming through, it's just going to match the fuel to the air. So it hey, cannot change, can't change fuel mileage at all. Because my oil pressure runs between 40 and 60. It goes in the middle, so it's kind of high. Is that normal? Well, yeah, no, it's because you got the wrong oil in it. Right. Because when I bought it, it was like that. Yeah, you probably had the wrong oil in it then. Yeah, you got to go back to the right oil. I got you. I got a tire sensor on it. One more time, I'll let you go. I got a tire sensor that goes on and off on the right mm-hmm. side for my pressure. Yeah, yeah. probably the battery's dead in the sensor. I mean, at 10 years, I would suspect those batteries would be all dying. You might as well change all four of them. Cause say. When one's bad, you can change it, and two months later, another one's going to start doing it, and three months later, another one's going to start doing it. And the problem is the same light comes on. Yeah, it's one light. So, so. Yeah. It's just one light. Just one light on right. the right side. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So just, just change all four of them when you have tires put on it. Yeah, you can wait until you don't have tires it. put on it, because to do it now, you'd have to break all the tires down. So, yeah. I mean, I just wait till the tires wear out when they do have them change the sensors in it. It's a great truck. It runs great. It's, it's, I mean, for a 10-year-old truck, you're mm-hmm. not going to find a cleaner one. Mm-hmm. But only 54000 when I bought it. I only put four on it since I had it. There you months. go. It'll outlive me, probably. Yep. There you go. <laughs> All right, man. Hey, have a blessed day, man. Thank, Thank you, man. You're doing a great mm-hmm. job. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you're only part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Hey, we're going to take our second quick little break, but we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hey, Jim. Becky said you were in the office and, whoa, what is up with all the charts and graphs, buddy? Oh, I'm using my system I've developed to keep up with the maintenance on my three cars. Is that an armillary sphere? Yes, yes it is. So, the oil gets changed every third full moon. Brake pads divide the years Becky and I have been married by our oldest son's age. Timing belt is leap year, except when it's on the time. You know there's a better way, right? 
I just take my cars into Agco once a year for a general inspection. They give me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need. Sometimes it's just an oil change and they send me on my way. One time, they caught something that could have led to a huge repair. Saved me thousands. Wow, that sounds great. You know, I'm always trying to save money any way I can. Uh, let me get Agco's number online and uh, give them a call. Is that dial-up? Dude, there's a better way to save money. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And that's what Mike did. Good morning, Mike. Yes, good morning, Louis and Brian. How are you? Doing great, sir. We're doing great. Love your show. I'm calling from Central New York State. Well, thank and you. I have great. a question about my 2010 Chevy Silverado. Okay. Attempting to, or will attempt to, replace the transmission fluid and gear oils. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, my service manual advises that I remove the catalytic converter to remove the transmission pan. Mm -hmm. Is that necessary? Some vehicles it is. Is it? Okay. Because what they've done is they brought the exhaust down off the driver's side, and when they crossed it over to the passenger side, they cross it right underneath the transmission pan. Mm -hmm. You can take all the bolts out of it and drop it down, but it will not come down far enough to clear the solenoids inside the val on the valve body. Okay. So it gets hung up. And there's a procedure that we have found that works best. Crank the truck up and let it warm up a little bit. Take some penetrating oil and spray on the three bolts that hold the exhaust pipe to the manifold. Then turn the, yep. truck, turn the truck off. Let it sit till fairly cool to work on. It doesn't have to be ice cold. Take a... Long breaker bar and a long extension and a socket and break those by hand. The nuts will come off. You don't have to take them all the way off the stud. you got to drop them down about an inch. And that allows the exhaust pipe to come down far enough to clear the transmission pan. The reason I said put the penetrating oil on them and use a breaker bar is an impact will destroy the nut and you'll never get it off. It'll round the nut off. Round it, off. it will not break it loose and it'll round the hex off. And it's on there till you cut it off. Yeah, I know, too, sometimes the studs will break off. Sometimes the, the studs will break. And that's a big, big deal. Right. So just be a little careful yeah. with it. And I think Josh that's, told me you might be able to take the – can you take the bolts out of the transmission mount and, and jack up on the transmission and get it out? No, because it picks up the engine with it. Okay. And all that is one, uh, one uh, piece. Yeah, it's all relative. So okay. the, the exhaust okay. has to come down far enough for, so the pan will clear the solenoids off the back of the valve body. It's kind of a, a weird thing because you can drop the pan without taking the exhaust off, but it will not clear and come out. And yeah, you've got to take hung in there. <laughs> you got to take the pan out to get the filter off. And then when you put All it right. back together, you got to have enough room to slide it back in there so you don't disturb the gasket as you put it back together. Yeah, you're so to force it, you didn't it's up, a, it's yeah. a big deal. Understood. And if I can ask one more question, you about sure. the same vehicle, sure. Differential fluids, front mm -hmm. and rear. Uh, is it appropriate that I buy aftermarket name brand synthetic? gear oil or do you recommend the gm no no uh, we use mobile one on all of that 75w90 on that one mm -hmm. and we use the mobile one product just because i like it i don't know who makes gm's all for them, but gm doesn't make all they just buy it from somebody anyway but yeah any gl5 synthetic 75w90 will work on that all right and a, a last question mm -hmm. if i do have time sure this same vehicle has a pretty bad leak that seems to be around the rear main seal and I remember from a previous show, you mm -hmm. indicated there's more than one possible cause for that. There is. How do I isolate the source of that leak? Well, I've got an article on my website. If you just go in and type in 5.3 liter leak, 
it's going to bring up an article with pictures and all that. The most common things that leak on them, number one is the little sender unit at the top. And on that 2010, you got to take the manifold off to get to that. But the all-pressure sender unit leaks, it runs down around the bell housing, kind of weeps in through there and drips off right at the very bottom. So it looks a lot like a rear main seal. Another thing that can fool you is the valve covers can leak on it and does the same exact thing because it leaks out the back, drips down the bell housing, goes down, drips at the bottom. So not everything that drips at the bottom is the rear main seal. Now, I think what Josh does on those a lot is take that little inspection cover off, get in there with a light, and look up inside and see if you see all around the back of the flywheel, the flex plate. And if yep. so, then more likely it is going to be that, or if it's inside that recessed area in there, most likely it's going to be the rear main. Now, generally, it's not the rear main seal itself. It's the cover that goes over the rear main seal, instead which is of, sort of a moot point. Yeah, instead of having just a seal that stamps into the back of the block, it stamps into a cover that bolts to the back of the block. Right. So it tends to leak around that cover more than the seal itself. And, I mean, it's sort of a moot point because they come as a kit. Right. Both parts come together. you got to pull transmission either way, and you wouldn't change one without the other regardless. But there were some problems with porosity in those little covers. If you go into the article, it'll show pictures and everything else. If you have that, it's kind of prudent to put some RTV seal in or something to kind of seal that porosity before you put it back together, if that is the case. And the, the last thing we see quite a bit is the oil-pan gaskets on them. We'll right. Is it advisable to take some brake clean and just kind of clean the accumulation of oil and crud off of there before to try and isolate the source? Very, of very good idea. Yeah. Clean it up, and then that way you can see a lot of times where it is coming from. And the only way to really see that is get it up on a lift where you can go in over the transmission with a light or something and look in there. And that way you can you can see where it's coming from generally. I mean, in an extreme case, you could add some dye to the oil and go in with a fluorescent light and see it, but that's rarely necessary. Generally, once you get under it and get you know, on the rack where you can stand up and look under there, you can isolate it pretty easily. All right, guys. Thank you very much for your advice. All right, Mike. All right, thanks for calling, man. Take care. Mm, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, of course, that is area code 225 in the Baton Rouge area. That it is. There you go. And, you know, we were talking earlier about coolant few, few things. We were talking about coolant leaks. I also wanted to bring up the topic of tire valve stems mm-hmm. because I've got a habit. When I'm sitting in traffic, I look over at the wheels on the vehicle next to me. Mm-hmm. It, some of them have caps. Some of them don't have caps, and they're all dirty inside. The reason that valve stem cap is on that valve stem is because it is the seal for the stem. That's right. That's the primary seal. The little Schrader valve inside the stem is there for one primary purpose, and that's the whole air in the tire while you're filling it. Correct. It allows you to fill the tire without it all running back out immediately. But it's not the main seal. The main seal is actually in that little cap mm-hmm. that you screw on the top of, whether it be a rubber se- rubber stem mm-hmm. or a metal stem. Mm-hmm. The, the seal is in the cap. That's right. And without that cap on there, they could leak as much as one bubble of air per second on a brand-new valve stem, sure. and that's considered acceptable because that is not the primary seal. That is just to hold the air in the tire so it doesn't all run out as fast as you put it in. But a couple of things occur when you don't put those little stem caps back on. Number one is very often you'll get a leak. Sure. Number two, when you're driving down a rainy road, the water gets down into the top of that Schrader valve and works its way in there. And it can corrode up that valve, make it start leaking. But water is going to track dust, dirt, grit, grime. That's all sitting on the top of that little valve now when you take and add air to it you put a blowgun on there and you press it down at 100 pounds of pressure it pushes all that debris into the tire now and that would be bad enough except that most cars now have a tpms sensor inside tire pressure monitor sensor right and that's exposed to the air inside the tire so when you push this debris into that tire 
that can get into that sensor. And some of those can be over $100 a piece. Sure. And the thing is, the air pressure is going to push it into the sensor. So you end up with a big, big problem needlessly. All it takes is that little plastic cap. Now, very, very often, like you said, if you start looking at the average car, probably half the cars we look at, at least one of those little caps is missing. Oh, at least one. Most of the time, more than one. And we keep them in boxes. And generally, when a car comes in, we just put them on there. But those are extremely inexpensive. They are. You can buy those real, real inexpensively. I mean, you can go back to deal and buy them. Some parts stores may have them. But you want to watch because there are different quality levels. They, they got are. the cheap junk import ones, which are just plastic. And then and they got the better ones, which they may be plastic. They may not. But it generally got like a little O-ring or something in them that seals like it should. And get a good quality cap and put on there. That's going to protect not only your TPMS sensors, but it's going to prevent a leak, which could prevent a tire failure. And on and on and on it goes. There so, you go. And and one more thing while we're on the tire monitor subject, fix a flat. Mm-hmm. Do not put fix a flat inside one of those tires. No. Shouldn't be in any automotive tire anyway, but when you put it in there with the tire monitor, it gets clogged up in that sensor and it wipes force, the sensor out. into the sensor and the sensor is going to yep. fail because it's not designed to have fix a flat in it. Correct. And like I say, it's not a good idea to use that stuff at all, but Certainly not anything from 2006 or seven up that has a tire monitoring system on it. Right. That can cost you a lot, a lot, a lot of money. Ooh, and a lot so, of headache. Yeah, a lot of headache. And it's also a big headache to the guy who's trying to balance tires. He has to take and break it down, try to clean that mess up. And then he puts it all back together and the TPMS light pops, pops on. on. So he, right. he gets blamed for it. Right. And, and really it's the guy who put the fix flat in that caused all the problems all the way along yeah, the line. If you so. got a tire that's leaking, go ahead and, and have it fixed the proper way mm-hmm. and just avoid all that to begin with that's right it's just not it's like fixed flies it's kind of like stop leak or anything else it, you know there's probably some market for it somewhere under some extreme conditions but for the most part it's bad news it's not sure. anything that's going to do you any good and probably is going to cause you some grief down the road most definitely you know we were talking like you said about the coolant and all and one other point that i wanted to bring out because i see this quite a bit when you get a leak and of course it starts ingesting oxygen system you start getting corrosion and at that point, what some people do is the worst possible thing they could do. And they just add more water to they it. They add water to it. Mm-hmm. Now, because the system's low, rather than go and get the proper coolant, they just add water. What that does is it dilutes the corrosion protection of the coolant. Yep. Now, if that's been going on for a period of time, now we've got an unknown mixture in here. It was supposed to be 50-50. It is probably 60, 75, 80% depleted. But then if it's been watered down, now we've got a cocktail that nobody knows what it is. Right. And when you drain it out, you're not going to get all of it for the most part. So you end up with real problems trying to get the proper mixture. But what happens when you add water to it, particularly if you add city water, oh, that, yeah. that's, that's a double worst, whammy. That's the worst thing you can do. Because now you're introducing chlorine, fluorides, all sorts all of minerals and all that stuff into a system that's already corroding. So you can really – I've seen people just – basically total their car sure just by no more than ignoring a leak and it gets so out of control before you know it the heater cores leaking the radiators leaking you got repairs that exceed the value of the car yep now worse still is if the car starts to overheat because it overheats two or three times now it blows the head gasket well now you've got combustion gas leaking into the coolant right which just makes it it even worse worse had a fella come in a little earlier this week or last week, and he had a vehicle that had been overheating for about a year. Uh-huh. And he uses this very infrequently. So it wasn't too, too big of a deal to him, or at least so he thought. But what had happened, it had overheated enough times where it had blown the head gasket. So okay. 
We checked it first. There's a crack in the radiator tank. Right. So the tank is cracked. So it's, it's going to need a radiator at very least. But then the we checked it for CO2, and it came back positive CO2 in the coolant, which means it's got either a cracked head or a blown head gasket. And by the time you added this in, and it had some other issues with it too, it was more, I had to advise him it's just not worth fixing. It's going right. to cost you more money to try to bring this thing back than it, it would if you just got rid of it and right. go get something else. And, you know, like we talked about earlier, there's always some extreme case. He says, well, how about this stop leak stuff? I said, well, what you got to lose? Well, yeah, you got a vehicle that's not worth fixing anyway. At this point. Yeah, dump it in and see what happens. I mean, and literally he only used this thing about 5 to 10 miles every week or two wow so he didn't drive it very much it's just it was nice to have a truck when he needed it i said well sure i mean in this case you're not worried about it i mean your other options donate the truck to charity or junkyard and if you need a truck go rent one for right if you can put something in there it probably won't work but maybe it will if it doesn't cost too much might that's, get, a, that's an opportunity where you might want to do something like that. Might get six more months out of it. You might. Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he'll drive it the way he does it for another three years. Yeah, you know, maybe. I mean, sooner or later, it's going to give up the ghost. But, I mean, what you got to lose when... That's it. It's already totaled. Yeah, so. yeah. it's pretty much already uh, what we call nefer, not yeah. economically feasible <laughs> repair. So, yeah, when you get a vehicle in that state, then that might be a candidate for that kind of stuff. What you just have to keep in mind is that once I do this, I have to realize this is non-reversible. Correct. I can't come back later and say, oh, you know. Let's go ahead and, let's fix, go ahead it and fix it all up and make it like new again. Yeah, no, no, that, no, that's not going to be an option it's any too longer. Late. Yeah, it's going to be too late for that. And where that is even a bigger issue, we've seen where people put this stop leak in their air conditioning Oh, system. my goodness. Yeah. And that, I mean, if it's a system that you're just not going to fix and you're going to total the car anyway and you want to do that, hey, God bless you, do what you got to do. But don't think you're ever going to be able to come back and fix that air conditioner. Right. Because, because it's contaminated and nobody can recycle the refrigerant in it. So it just virtually can't be fixed at that point. You just got to remember, I'm going to push it far as it goes and then and that's then, it. Yeah, that's, that's going to be Then I'm going to move on. <laughs> hey, we're going to take our last quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So, Tina, are you interested in shopping next weekend? Oh, well, me and Harold leave for our European cruise on Friday. Another cruise? What? Are you all blowing the kids' inheritance? <laughs> no, we're just smart with our money. Like, our cars are paid off, and we're big on preventative maintenance. Harold takes them in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what we need to keep the cars running right. You'd be surprised on how fast you can save for a cruise without two car notes. <laughs> wow, I never thought of that. I have time to do a little shopping this afternoon, though. I've got to get Harold a bathing suit. He keeps saying he wants one of those tiny Speedo suits because that's what everybody wears in Europe. And I cannot let that happen. Okay, now I have an image of Harold strutting around the pool in a Speedo. I think I'm going to book a general inspection from Agco to clear my mind. He wanted hot pink, too. <laughs> Tina, stop. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, uh, welcome back. Good morning. Well, say, it go. is good morning. No, it's a good, good morning. Hey, I like that. Hey, welcome back to the Automotive Hour. This is a final segment, and I'm Lewis Aldazan from Agcore Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Just give us a call, 291-6901, and we've got Greg online. Good morning, Greg. Hey, Lewis. How are you? Doing great, sir. I've got a daughter that's about to start driving and found a 03 Corolla with 91,000 miles. Okay. Problem is, the air condition doesn't work. Mm -hmm. I know y'all do a vehicle inspection and all that stuff, you know, just a, a general checkup. Mm -hmm. 
I'm not interested in spending a fortune diagnosing a problem on a car that I don't own. Mm-hmm. As far as diagnosing air condition problems, mm-hmm. does mm-hmm. that get expensive fast? Well, Graylin, back up. What it's going to probably involve to know the extent of the damage. I mean, I can put some gauges on and get an idea of what's going on. But to know the extent of the damage, we're going to have to evacuate the system, break the lines, and check the orifice tube because that's where all the problems are going to reveal themselves. In other words, if it's got an orifice tube and it's full of metal, then you know, hey, this yes. system's done. And unfortunately, that takes about an hour to do. So, you know, if that is a deal breaker for you, I would check that before I did anything else. You know, the way I always approach inspection, be it a used car inspection or general inspection or anything else, let's go after the biggest stuff first. Let's find the deal breaker because what you're looking for is a reason you should not buy the car. And if I look at it and say, Greg, man, this is going to be three grand to fix the air conditioner, well, then nothing else really matters at that point. Well, that, that's it, too. She has had it looked at. Mm-hmm. Now, let me back up a second and say I can probably get a very good deal on this car. Mm-hmm. She has had it looked at, and I've got something from Toyota and something from another shop mm-hmm. here. It goes from, you know, $650 to $3,000. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I was wondering. That seems like a pretty big range. Well, it is, and, and both of them may be wrong. You know, it's yeah. just you have to find somebody that you know and trust. The biggest thing that I find on air conditioner is the guy at 650 is probably talking about, I'm going to put a compressor on it. I can tell you that is absolutely a waste of your time because compressor never just goes out. Right. Yeah, Something always... kills it. And when it kills it, it spews metal all throughout the system. The $3,000 job is probably, I'm going to put a condenser, a compressor, an expansion valve, and blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. I'm reading it. That's exactly what. Yeah, right. and that's probably a far more prudent approach because where no one wants to spend too much, nobody. It's it's way worse to spend too little because you sink six hundred and fifty bucks into it, and it lasts about three weeks, and now you got the metal from two compressors in there. You have just absolutely wasted that money. In fact, you made the situation far worse. So you're way way better off to get and see two some places do what they call shotgun approach it's just hey let's change everything and we know we got it yeah you don't want that but i can tell you air conditioning work done properly at very least if the compressor's come apart you're going to have to put a condenser in it that's yep. automatic because you cannot clean a condenser if you don't change the condenser you're going to be doing a job over again anywhere from three to six months that's an automatic the expansion valve also can retain a lot of metal and it's impossible to clean so, so that's, that's going to be a that's going to be a big deal it's going to need to be done if any of the hoses on the vehicle have a muffler in them that could contain metal, those can't be cleaned, so you might be into some of that. So, yeah, you could probably figure on getting up two to 2500 at least on something like that if it is full of metal. But if you want to dump a little bit more money and get another check, the next thing to do would be evacuate it, suck it out, put, go ahead and pull an expansion valve out, see if there's metal in it. You know, that's going to be the way you're going to know for sure. If it's all full of black, death they call it which is the burn oil and stuff yeah then it's going to be a complete yeah, system nothing else you do is going to make a bit of difference how much of that for someone with average skills can be done like how much of that could i do myself well i mean that's something that it's pretty know, difficult and you've got to work have a good clean yeah. environment it's got to be almost sterile inside any debris that gets into that system is going to just take it right back out again you know all those parts come sealed up and when you take them off, you immediately hook them into the system so that there's a chance there that yeah. you well, don't get any debris that doesn't yeah. get cleaned out and doesn't get cleaned up and put back together absolutely sterile. You're looking at doing the whole job over. And the problem is when you do the job over, it's not going to be just a component that failed. It's yeah. going to take everything out again. 
Well, that answered my next question is, can I do this a piece at a time? No, no, sir. No, absolutely. It has to be done all at once. Okay. I was going to bring it in and have it checked out. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it, you know, there's a good chance that I could get this for a song. Yeah, you'd have to get it really, really cheap yeah. where you could afford to dump some money into it because well, if you don't fix it, air conditioning, you usually get one shot at it, and if you don't fix it right the first time, it just becomes a nightmare. It's a continuing problem and a continuing money pit. Okay, well, I guess my concern was spending a bunch of money on this car that I don't own and then not buying it. No, no, you wouldn't want to uh, do that. I'd just figure the worst. Mm -hmm. I'd figure the worst yep. case and then... If you if the numbers work at the worst case, then it's a deal. If it doesn't, then you, you better oh, pass. move on. Yeah, I, mean, I say yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I don't need to put six thousand dollars into a three thousand dollar car. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a lot better cars out there. Yeah. To start yeah. with. Okay, I think the car is in very good shape. Mm -hmm. Other than the air condition not working. Well, then you could do a general inspection or a yeah. pre-purchase inspection. That would tell yeah. you that. Well, that's what I may do. Is yeah, uh, because if there's another problem, then certainly it doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. Sure. No, absolutely right. All righty. All right. Well, as soon as I get a chance, I'll get in touch with you and see about getting it in. Okay. Sounds right. good, man. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Mm, bye bye. Let's see. We got a pile of people on hold, and I don't know if yeah. we got time to get to them. All. Let's try. We try. got. Hey, Jim. Can you make it real quick? Yes, I have a 2008 car that's got about 87,000 miles on it, and. I'm curious if I either need an alignment or need to have the brakes checked. Whenever I'm going 55 or 60 and start to match the brake, I start feeling some vibration in the steering wheel. Yes, and mm -hmm. I didn't know if that's more to do that's with be an brakes. alignment issue. No, that's no, going to be brakes. brakes. See, alignment is yeah. always the same whether you're hitting the brakes or not. So you gave it away okay. when you say it shakes when you hit brakes. Something that only does it when you do one thing like that, that's not going to be alignment because it would be the same regardless. That's going to be like a warp brake rotor or something like that. Fairly common on cars today. And okay. they can go in and check that. And if the rotors are warped, generally replace rotors today because they're so thin anyway that they're not worth turning. But fortunately, rotors have are come way down yeah. in price in the last several years. So it's generally cost-effective just to replace them. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you for your help. Thank you. All right, sir. Bye-bye. And see, I don't, yeah, think, I don't know. Got time for another call? Yeah, he said yeah. He said, yeah. All right. All right. We got David online. Good morning, David. Can you make it real quick? I sure can. I got a 2002 Dodge Caravan, and I have an intermittent problem smelling gas. What do I need to check? Does it have a check engine light also, David? Nope. Okay, no check engine light. I mean, the first thing I would look at is, like, the seals on the injectors. And the reason I say that is because anything in the fuel tank system will generally throw a check engine light. So you're more likely to be on the pressure side of the system because it can't check the pressure side. And I'm totally out of time. I'm sorry. Yo, call back again next week if that didn't totally answer your question. Hey, want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be, uh, ACAST, Player FM. Pod Bay, whatever it is, go right. to the written review and fill it out for us. That's right. If you give us a written review, it'll move us up in the rankings to where when people type in auto repair, our name will come up close to the top. And that's what it's all about. That that's keeps it. us going. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.